Hi everyone, this is Swapnil, co-founder of Urau Labs. We are a Bangalore-based startup and we are working towards a 100% renewable water solution. Water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. These lines were written in 1834 and I'm sure the author had no clue about the climate change then. But these lines perfectly describe what is going to happen to us as a result of climate change. But don't lose hope yet. There are disruptive startups working to prevent this apocalypse. In this episode of the Spotlight podcast, your host Akshay Dutt is talking with Swapnil Srivastav, the co-founder of the green tech startup Uravu Labs. Uravu Labs literally creates water out of thin air. And in this conversation, Swapnil talks about the journey of building the technology stack to make it possible and the business opportunities they are chasing. Listen on to this insightful conversation about building a deep tech startup in India. So I've always been very much interested in water design as well as product innovations, which are mostly focused on sustainability. So there was always one, you can say a topic in mind that things have to become more sustainable, things have to become more efficient in the future. So there were many, you can say, people who I look up to, one of them being designers like Buckminster Fuller, then there have been people like Nikola Tesla. So these were the people who were really inspiring and like there was always pushing the boundaries of what to do next, what to do next. So water was one element which caught my eye and that may be also because I've been swimming from the age of six. So there was one thing I really liked, like compared to any other sport, I can swim for all day if I want to. Because that's something that's very pleasurable as well as enjoyable. So there was always some love affair with water in some way or the other. So what happened then in 2030, while I was pursuing my architecture degree, there was one competition called Imagining the Future of Water and City. So that was like a global competition. And there was like some good prize money of, I think, $20,000, $30,000. So we thought, me and some of my friends thought, let's just spend our summer break doing this. And we participated in that. We started exploring what all has happened in the water sector, and what new technologies have come up in the past 50 years. So we realized that the last major breakthrough which happened in water sector was the reverse osmosis technology which came out in the 1960s. So for the last 50 years, there was not nothing major which has happened in the water sector in terms of new technologies. So when we got this opportunity which said explore what would be the future of water in the city. We went totally futuristic and we suggested water from air would be one solution. And how I knew about water from air is again from science fiction. So Star Wars has this on their desert planet, Katuni, they have these moisture capture units. So they were called as GX8. And so that's how they got water in their desert planet of Katuni because there was no other water source. So that was the one of the inspirations to just come up with, okay, water from air could be a thing. Yeah, and I think so Star Wars was like, it turned inspired by Dude. Correct. Uh, so, uh, desert planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even Dune, I had read Dune in 2010 before going to college and Frank Herbert has this contractions like 
from your whole body moisture yes. will be yes. Yes. and uh, if you have seen the movie <laughs> recently, I did like the movie but I was a big fan of the book <laughs> yeah. the, the movie didn't do justice to the book <laughs> yeah. Yeah. maybe they'll pick it up in the next year later yeah. So what are some major thing was there in science fiction and then when we started researching then companies were already doing it. It was not something that no one has done it or it's a totally vague concept which has come in. But it was only like in a very initial phases, someone has tried out in many ways. So mostly the common technology or the, we can say the conventional technology to do this is use an air conditioner kind of device and keep on condensing the water vapor in the air. So what happens is whatever water vapor or humidity moisture is in the air, it will go, it will condense, it will cool down to less than four or five degrees Celsius and will liquefy to water. So that's how the conventional process is. And when I was working on this combination, that's what we proposed. And but the our idea was that it could be part of a floating balloons in the sky because at the much higher heights, you will have access to more air and you can cover it all, hold that floating balloon with a solar panel and drive the energy and moisture from there and just pipe it down to your house. So that was the, just the initial idea and I thought that was a bit childish. <laughs> but then that's what we submitted and then after some time we didn't get selected for the finals but that was idea was stuck in mind. Then in 2015 I was going for my internship. So compulsory last year six months is an internship and then thesis. So for internship also, I again chose a place in Bangalore where a person called, he's like a groundwater expert in India. And he was like looking at how to make our buildings or neighborhoods more sustainable through rainwater harvesting. Rainwater harvesting was one process and second was also wastewater treatment. So that you can build self-sufficiency in a house or in a neighborhood and you don't have to rely on groundwater or even stanker waters, which usually people bring in from longer distances. And even if you just take the case of Bangalore, we get water from Kaveri River, which is around 200 kilometers away. And it's a long process, which involves a lot of pumping and you know, energy wastage. But rather than that, you can have a solution which is much more decentralized and at your house. So that was again inspiring for me in the sense that you can do something which is more decentralized. You can do something which is very different from the infrastructure which has existed in the past 100, 150, 200 years. So then I took upon that as my thesis also, where we were looking at how to do wastewater treatment using biological plants and not rely on reverse osmosis kind of processes, which actually waste a lot of water. So for every one liter of water you purify, you will get a 1.5 to 2 liters of wastewater. So that was again like close of my thesis and then I was wondering whether to pursue masters or out something with the ideas I have about water and new technologies which would be actually so I took the third option and then during my last semester in college there was one more event which further forced me to or further inspired me to that step and continue working on these ideas I had. So that was that in Calicut it usually rains a lot no six months you'll have very heavy rains and then six months of summers. But during the last semester in 2016, we had a severe kind of, let's say a drought in our college campus in that area. So what had happened is, has laterite soil. So groundwater retention is very bad. So even if it drains a lot, almost all of it drains to the sea very immediately. So you have to rely on surface water bodies, either rivers or lakes. 
So the river which supplied water to our college campus had dried up from the months of uh, January to March, I don't think. So we had to rely on these tanker water coming to our college and there was always rationing. I will get one bucket per day, kind of. <laughs> so that was a situation I realized or even in a place like Calicut, which rains a lot, our infrastructure is not designed to adapt and be resilient to all these changes which are And like throughout the college life, I had worked with some urban design professors and based on the interaction and my work on that, I was also co-author in a book called Key Democracy for Smart Cities. So there also we had taken up how urban design could adapt to all these changing, either the changing climate or changing weather. So that was again a point of which, which kind of held me to, okay, you can go out and do something and build something new. So I started working on this water from air concept during my last semester in college. And with me was my bachelor's Venkatesh, who's also co-founder at Programs. So we thought, okay, this is some new ideas which we can just take up and start working towards. So the first device we created was actually the conventional one. We just took a compressor or install compressor, which is like a Peltier device, which again gives us the same, creates a very cold surface and you can pass air over it. So that was one of the first experiments just to tell ourselves that, okay, this works. It's not something that you just read about, but it's something which works. That was just first of our experiments and we thought, okay, yes, further give it a try, we'll do it part nine and see what happens. So then post our college, we just somehow landed in Bangalore everywhere and we thought we'll keep on working towards that. While I was also doing some freelance works with design some startup companies, just helping them out. But on the free time, we were also building. So first we built like a 50 liter unit and then we went what, what, what half years we built a 200 liters per day with a conventional air conditioning technology. So in a way we didn't. How would this work? Just describe this 200 sure. liter unit. Like what did it look like? And sure. So, so how it works is there will be a compressor which is usually used in conditioners or refrigerators and there will be a refrigerant which passes to a heat exchanger. So when you run this compressor at some certain operating conditions, the heat exchanger will turn to almost 4 to 60 degrees Celsius temperature. And over this heat exchanger, you will pass ambient air. So you can, ambient air needs air all around us with, at normal temperatures. So when you pass this ambient air over it, there will be a certain temperature where the moisture in the air will start condensing to liquid water. So that's the basic process and there are almost one, 190 plus companies all over the world which do exactly the same. There is no... So this is like commercial grade technology right now. People are using this technology for water. Correct. So it's basically an air conditioner, but you can describe it. I describe it as air conditioner or steroids. You actually take more energy and then just keep on condensing that water. Yeah. But that cold air which is coming out, that is wasteful. Ha, yeah. It's not kisi ka ghar chanda ho just So some people have tried in that way also. They'll use that air to... Uh, fastened to the room also or you can again use that cool air to cool the incoming ambient air to make the system 5% more efficient. So we tried all those things also. Uh, so we actually started with a non-renewable option for all regards compared to what we are doing today. And this would be very energy inefficient. Maybe you would consume 
X number of watts for every one liter. What was that X number? How many watts would you consider? We had made our first unit and Bangalore conditions were relative humidity is around 60-70%. So it consumed around 400 watt hours per liter. Almost 0.4 units. Which is not sustainable from a price Sorry, perspective. Pricing perspective like, also. As well as uh, if you look at humidity today also 60-80% to 80% of that comes from fossil fuel based power plants. So for every liter of water you produce you would be ejecting around 100 to 500 grams of fuel. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's going in the opposite direction towards what you started with. And uh, other problem we found was whenever RH conditions say drop below 50%, this power consumption RH, which is relative humidity. So it's actually a specific amount of water in the air divided by the specific amount of water in the air at conditions when it can condense to So it's, it's, Usually, it's a measure of in how dry or how wet environment is. So, when RH relative humidity conditions drop below fifty percent, then we started seeing that the power consumption went as high as eight hundred watt hours. And when relative humidity conditions were below forty percent, it went as one kilowatt hour. So, you know, the performance was very inefficient when RH conditions were low, as well as overall the energy source was still dependent on heat based grid power. So that was one realization I had the, as a team, we had the, there could be something better, there could be something more we could do, like just to push that. And then during this time also what happened, there was one event or you can say like a, a uh, there was a University of Alberta, Canada and there's a non-profit called Water Illusion of Canada and they were organizing a water innovation lab. So they had invited like an open application. So all water innovators all around the world would apply and there was like a, 10-day program and we'll go, go through all around yeah, and see where all water problems are there and what people are actually doing to combat that. So there were around 20 people who got selected and people from all over the world and I was also one of the participants that. So we had visited places in Dubai. We saw their wastewater plant, water supply treatment plant. Then we further went to Ahmedabad with that plan of touch. So what I realized when I went to this salt Plains of Randolph Kutch, you will have a lot of these workers who will be staying two, three kilometers apart. And there will be just a family of four to five or maybe up to 10 people. They will work all day and then they will just have one hut like this. And outside the hut, I saw there was like a small storage tank. So that storage tank was actually for water. And what used to happen was a tanker used to come every week, fill that storage tank, and they will rely on that water for the entire week. For their bathing, drinking, cooking, whatever they wanted to do. Because the groundwater is so salty, it's actually being used to make salt. <laughs> so you can't really use that water for any other purpose. So then I realized like they don't even have energy infrastructure to use something like an electricity-based water from regulars. Let alone that they have a water source. They don't even have good energy infrastructure to run such kind of devices. So the idea was there's a lot of sun, there's a lot of like energy which falls to all these places and which is there for at least 8 to 10 hours a day. So how can we tap into that? So that's when we started thinking of could we make this more renewable? Could we make this solar powered? Could we shift to more renewable option rather than what we are doing today? So that was one spark which kind of led to, okay, led to us thinking let's do something more about this. And then coincidentally, in 2018, there was a competition called Water Abundance X Prize. 
So Exercise is a Los Angeles based foundation and what they do is they promote like a lot of these multi-million dollar competitions where they give a very like a moonshot kind of problem statement. So the problem statement they gave was you have to make a well, water from air device which runs entirely on renewable energy and can make 2000 liters per day at less than 2 cents per liter. This was our opportunity to actually go out do something and participate and see where you actually stand in the whole world where so more than 100 teams participated. So well, we had we again had two options. We can participate with our conventional technology which we had developed and say, okay, we can put solar panels or try to find out some other source of energy. Or we can do something entirely different. That's when we started looking at desiccants. So desiccants are nothing but water vapor loving materials. So what desiccants do is when you pass air over it, they will start absorbing the moisture. So a very common desiccant which you would have seen is silica gel. So whenever you buy a thermos glass or some kind of product, you will see a small pouch. So that small, small pouch actually has silica gel beads. So these beads are actually very good at absorbing humidity. So when you leave it out in the open, they start absorbing humidity and control the moisture around it. So we thought, okay, that could be something we can start using. And release that moisture back, you actually need heat. So you need heat at around 70-80 degrees Celsius. And we thought this heat we can get from solar energy. Because uh, solar was already used to create 80-100 uh, degree hot water. It was already used for heating and drying. So that was the initial idea. And with that, we participated in XPRIZE. So in this water abundance XPRIZE, we put this idea and all that with the initial prototype we had made. So we were selected as a global finalist in the top five. And we were the only team from Asia. So, and so there were around 98 or 100 teams had participated and they had selected top five and we were the only teams from India or from Asia. And out of the five teams, three were working on a conventional air conditioning based technology. And they were either one team had paired it with biomass, one team had paired it with a bit mill, one team was pairing it with some solar TV side. Bio, so biomass is like the fuel source. So like instead of burning coal, you burn biomass to power it. Yes. So they could burn biomass and then use it for their conventional source, create electricity from that. So there was one team, the us, team from India and the other team from Australia. They had proposed like a desiccant-based technology where you use desiccants and then you solar. When we got selected in the top five, we got a $50,000 grant. So at that time, that was really a motivation that, okay, now you have the money. Now you can, there's some validation that this would work, this could scale. And then we realized, okay, let's start working on this properly. Uh, that, in that competition, what was the capacity? Like how many liters? Okay, so like you told about 200 liters you had done earlier. So Ismail, he had just made one panel and that was some two to three liters per day. Oh, okay. Okay. It was just like a concept. It was not a, it was not an MVP. It was more like a proof of concept that you can make something like this. But we had an idea, okay, we can put multiples of this, like in a panel, scale it. And by the way, that is something which one of our competitors does even today. But we have moved beyond that. Maybe that's that topic. Then we got started because now the... Once you get selected as a finalist, then you have to make scale it up to 2,000 liters per day. 
So from two liters, scaling to 2,000 liters per day was again a big challenge. And then like me and Venkatesh, we both, and then some of engineers, we were actually experienced or even qualified to take up a project like that coming from back. So then I started expanding the team and then I was also reaching out to many professors who have worked in either absorption systems or SKMs. And through that, or even solar thermal assets, energy systems. So I reached out to one professor from the Institute of Science, and then he connected me to Pardeep. So that's how I met Pardeep in May 28. And then we got started talking about, can we do something here? Will he be interested in this? So Pardeep is my co-founder at Global Labs, and he comes from a renewable energy systems and thermal systems background. So... His PhD was on distributed solar thermal energy systems, heat storage. And then he was also working on waste heat recovery. And he also did his postdoc at where he was again looking at the cost and cost analysis of many thermal power plants. And he was like that. So when I got in touch with Pradeep and then we thought, okay, now this could be something we can start working towards. And then again, time we started looking at it and what could be something we can do about it. So that's when, and so me and Venkatesh were only there and then Pratik joined us. And then we needed one engineer to make sure like whatever ideas we have can be translated more to a product, not just like a prototype, but more to a product. So that's when our fourth co-founder, Balaji joined us. So Balaji was introduced from mutual friend and then four of us got together and then in 2019 we incorporated labs and then started working full back towards making a renewable water from ASS. So that was the journey till we actually got incorporated and then started building. So I would say it was not like one shot that we started working on this. Then many ups and downs and many learnings over the past many years. Then ultimately we got to this stage. Yeah, so that was a roller book journey where we realized it's a long process, takes time. And but the motivation was again the world was realizing the need for new kinds of water innovations. Maybe five, ten years back, no one really thought about water could be becoming a problem next 10, 15 years. And then after 10 years, it we are very late to realize that we're in a phase where such tragic things are happening already. So we thought also that it was also on our side and there was team had like a good team has got in place. And then everyone was bringing variety of experiences and in a way that, you know, this problem could be taken and then solved. So that was one. And then now what we needed was like a very good technology, which we can scale, which could be made affordable over time. And that was the whole vision behind. Then incorporating the company and then take it Did all four of you take up equal stakes or like how did you navigate that? So it was not equal stakes. Like obviously some people have more experience already. Some people had working on this for a much longer time. And then had already, this was in a way's third startup. And so we had, you know, four or five years of experience. And we also tech expertise. So we thought, okay, when you're building something long term, you can think in that way and see what value you take. So then how did you scale it up to make it 2-3 liters a day? Is obviously, yeah. it's not a production. Sure. So even at 2-3 liters per day, we had a technology where, you know, what we did was we made a panel. 
like how you will see a solar panel. But instead of that, the panel had silica gel on top of it and it had reflectors below it. So what will happen is during night, this silica gel would absorb the humidity and during day, these reflectors will concentrate dot silica gel. It will heat up to 80 degrees Celsius, release the vapor. This in a way was limiting and this was also being tried out by one of the competitors for uh, zero mass water and now they have changed it into source global. So in this design, what is happening is there are basically two units. One is your desiccant unit. Desiccant unit is absorbing the moisture and then upon heating, you're releasing it and there's an energy unit. Energy unit is providing the heat Correct. to so energy unit provides the heat during resorption and energy unit in this panel kind of design, both the desiccant unit and energy unit are physically integrated to each other. Because the heat needs to come just to optimize on efficiency and you don't want the heat to be coming from a distance. Is that why? No, that was not, not exactly. The intention was more like you think about a panel kind of design where you want to integrate things. Okay. You want to integrate things and you want to make easy to install. Yeah, yeah. kind of thing. So want to make it very modular and it was more inspired key. Solar panels already exist. What can you do with the a water. Is way, how does the heating happen? Does it throw out hot air like a heater or how does it heat that silica gel? Sure. So we have something called like parabolic reflectors, uh, which are like a parabolic shaped reflectors, which are made of aluminum meters, which have very high reflectivity of you know, order of 65 to 97%. So these reflectors will be sitting below the silica gel tray. Okay. And whenever sunlight falls on it, they will bounce back that sunlight infrared radiation to the silica gel and silica gel tray will get heated up. So then why do you need the energy unit then if it's purely solar power? Ah, so actually here the energy unit is solar heat. So what is happening is when sunlight is falling, there are two technologies which exist today. One is solar PV photovoltaic. So that's sunlight gets converted to electricity. And other option is where sunlight, the infrared light component of the sunlight gets converted to heat. So, we rely actually on heat rather than electricity. So, some of the electricity is also needed, which is like a fan, which will draw the air and pass over the silica gel. But that is like very minimal power. That's actually not driving this option. It's just needed for fans. So, in this design, what was happening when everything is integrated, we are limited by two things. One is the device can only work when you have sunlight. So, at the night time, there's no sun, there's no heat which will get reflected silica gel and everything is integrated. But it can continue to absorb water correct, through the night. Correct. So that can happen. But that absorption will, how much could it absorb? Like a little? Okay. So it again depends on the amount of silica gel you put. So silica gel has a property that if you have 10 kgs of silica gel, so in about 3 hours, it will absorb 2 kgs of water. So 20%, 20% weight by weight. And so, if, so what I said, if we just listen to it again, it says, 10 kgs in 3 hours. So actually, silica gel just needs 3 hours to absorb moisture before it gets saturated. But then we have the whole night, which is kind of... In yeah, the rest of the time is... Rest of the time. Mm. So overall, if you see your device is... And even for desorption, what happens is it just needs 3 hours. So once, say, sun comes out and it pours hours out, silica gel is already desorbed and again, it's becoming useless. So actually, you need to run that whole system only for 6 hours. But we were using 12 hours during night, 12 hours during day and then out of 24 hours, only 6 hours were actually getting used. 
rest of the time sleep i've just masked so, here like uh, i have a question here the heat is on at that time it would not be absorbing correct. at that time it would be sweating correct exact so okay okay so you would also need an ic controller to start the heat in it once it is full and maybe you would need some sort of a sensor to tell you that it's full or like how does that work like the intelligent control correct initially we base it more on your measuring the humidity condition and the timing time it takes for the to for it to get saturated so many experiments on device on device, uh, on device. Uh, okay 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 so you had a sensor which would sense humidity and uh, based on humidity there would be an algorithm saying okay let it absorb for 4 hours because humidity is low and at the end of 4 hours then it would start the heat that was there and the heat would also start like as soon as sun comes out it will again you will start and it's a transparent surface where heat is just coming through the top glass so you you can't uh, stop the heat in no. any way like if you want to no so so that was the problem with this design we can't stop the heat like it's coming through whether you use it for 3 hours or 8 hours you know how intelligently you said so what we did was we we started like, instead of putting a panel which is just for his hotel we tried instead one panel we'll put five panels at different angles and use the sun throughout the day and tried all kinds of conditions and complications but then again again what happened was we never looked at the big picture initially at least that we don't want 5 liters or 10 liters we want 2000 liters of water so if you make such a panel and then you have to keep on duplicating it that's a, again a waste of resources so then then we came up that let's not think about integrating these together let's decouple them like heat unit could be a separate unit and you the second unit could be a separate unit so that's when we then in 2019 we developed that first unit which was actually a decoupled design so here what we did was we took this silica jet and we put it coated it in a heat exchanger okay and that heat exchanger and the resin unit became one unit where when you pass air over it it will absorb the humidity and when you want to actually dissolve it and you want to apply heat what we did was instead of having a solar collector which was focusing heat on silica jet we instead focused this heat on a heat transfer medium which in our case again was just hot water so what we did was we focused this concentrated heat on loops which will which was flowing with water and this water would get heated to 80 degrees celsius and then this water will go into the heat exchanger which was coated with silica so in this way what we were able to do was we had we had a separate energy unit we had a separate desiccant unit and based on whatever timing we wanted we had the ability to do the absorption and desorption based on will not based on when the sun is there okay and because we were able to store we were able to collect this heat in the form of hot water that gave us the opportunity to also store that so actually uh, thermal storage is in a way very cheap what you just need is like a tank which is insulated and it can store that hot water okay so what you can do is suppose you only have sun for 8 hours in a day but you can keep on you know, put some extra solar collectors heat collectors and let that hot water be stored in a thermal storage so what advantage that gave us was if you remember initially when we were speaking about time it takes for silica gel so 3 hours of absorption and 3 hours of desorption so one cycle is 6 hours 
So because of this ability to store thermal storage energy, thermal energy the storage tank, we were able to do multiple cycles throughout the day, even at night. So from doing one cycle, which was just six hours in an integrated panel, we were able to do four cycles in a decoupled design and do it 24 by 7. How would the water heat the silica? Like through very thin pipe. Exactly. The way you have yes. refrigerant, coolant. Correct. Uh, uh, same. Correct. Okay. Correct. So we have like heat exchanger which was coated with silica gel and then hot water will, will just flow through these pipes and heat up the silica gel and it will release the moisture which was earlier absorbed and we just kind of And how would you heat the water? Ah, so for uh, heating the water, we use something called solar evacuated tube collectors. If you come in Bangalore or even parts of India, solar water heaters would be there on many rooftops. So these so solar water heaters are nothing but they have uh, vacuum kind of tubes, which are made of a very thick glass. And whenever sunlight falls on it, whatever water is flowing in that will get heated. So... This can and uh, to what degree, what temperatures can that water achieve? So, if it's a like a good day, on an average day, we can go up to 70 80 degrees Celsius. It can go even as high as 100 120 degrees Celsius if you concentrate it. But then you have to also pressurize it. For us, for silica gel kind of device, 80 to 80 degrees, 70 to 80 degrees Celsius was pretty good. Okay, okay. 70 to 80 degrees Celsius water would do it in CRs. Like. So then we, we reached from a stage where we were just doing one cycle a day. Then we started doing four cycles a day with the help of this thermal storage kind of thing. So that was... Your cycle at night, you could only have one cycle at night. Now because once you use that hot water at night, then you can't heat it again. No, so what we do is during the day only we will store more than enough water for two cycles at night. Ah, okay, okay. So Check. that was the advantage of having thermal storage. And so from the thermal storage, the water go, goes in those thin pipes where it heats up the silica gel and the desorption happens. And then where does that water go after that? It again goes back to the polar tubes to get heated again. But during night time, it won't go. So it, during night time, it will go to a, another storage tank, which we call as the full tank. But then as soon as sun starts coming out in the morning, from the cold tank, it will again go to the solar tubes get heated, go to the tank. So that was the whole passage. So this one, if you look at all the prior art, in the sense, on the patent side, what all people have made throughout the years, many years, this was something very different, where we have decoupled both of them, we had introduced a thermal storage unit, and we had actually jacked up the capacity utilization factor to up to 100%. So initially, if you remember, the device was running only for 6 hours a day, and now it was running 24 hours a day. So that was, you know, you jump in how that whole asset is being placed instead of six hours versus 24. And because of such thing, we were able to actually come up with a, you can say a technology stack, which could be scalable, which could be made more affordable over time. And also, which was energy agnostic also. You know. So as we know, this was late 2019, we had just made our first a five liter per day unit and we were testing it till early 2020 and then so there was a point where again being a hardware company and we bootstrapped uh we were like okay do we continue with this or what, what can we do next and there was always a time where everyone feels more low than ever because they, they, we had already achieved something and like we were going on a good track but then there was a sudden halt and things were not the best shape as possible. So for that, in the first wave, we started seeing it was 
good to keep the moral high, but then obviously you'll face the consequences in some form or the other. So there was a work wasn't developing much faster as we imagine. And then for three, four months, there was no one at office. But at that time also, we just kept running some tests just to see whether this 24 cycle, 24 hour cycles are working or not. So that was the only thing that we And then during late 2020, early 2021, we started, uh, we had got one more government grant and then that also got over. So now we were in, from the financial point of view, there was like a big scare, like what do we do next? How do we keep doing this? And then COVID second wave. Did you have uh, fixed costs? What were your fixed costs? So, you know, in our lowest fixed cost was mostly on human resources. Uh, we had a small team of uh, six, seven people. And then founders, including that. So four of us have founders. Uh, three to four other people. So that was a major cost. And then you had prototyping costs. But prototyping cost would be more variable. Like you could, once you want to make it, you'll have it. But then other months were just the same. So... Yeah, yeah. So office rental was there. So at that time, we had just taken like a very small, like a 500 square feet workshop kind of thing. It used to be a play school actually. And then we had just started working. There. But it was a really nice building. It had like a, a building made of mud blocks. So it used to remain cool and it had a big banyan tree. So it was always in cool. <laughs> so that was pleasure to work. Even if there was no work happening, but you still go at this. So, then in early 2021, again, the COVID second wave came and again, there was a pause. But then this time we were, we started looking at reaching out to as many investors as possible. So there was one was, and like me and Venkatesh, Balaji, we were the first time entrepreneurs, but we had had a stint, but then they had not gone through that PC route. Like they were both dying or some angels and all. So it was... We were not really connected to the VC ecosystem and yeah, so we had gotten government grants, we had gotten some publicity, we had something in place and we knew this works, but then type VC ecosystem was not actually like looking for something like this. So initially also we had tried and uh, some people like this is too early for us, there's too much risk, there's no traction, this might not even work. And water industry is something which is very slow and no new innovation. Your customers mostly might be utilities and government. There's like a lot of this as a from a business standpoint, like people they think oh this would work for even this technology will scale and all. But then we kept trying uh, because we were all we had that like kind of motivation, not just keep on trying, let's keep on trying. One day or the other it should crack. <laughs> then so during you can say early 2021, we started reaching out to as many investors as possible. We will through and then actually some of our earlier connections and email, cold emails. So I remember clearly we had reached out to a total of more than 300 investors. And not just in India, we tried like the US, Singapore, Europe, Japan, whatever was possible, we knocked on every door. And then we had conversations with 15, 20 of them. And then some of them thought of oh, can dive deeper. But then ultimately, then there were just like few investors who actually believed in us and then gave us our first term sheet. <laughs> so that we received in uh, around June or July 2021 last year. And then we received our first funds in September. So that was our pre seed round and it was led by Speciale. 
and there were other bunch of four investors also from two from Japan and two from US. So that was our first PC down and and that time there were just four four co-founders and that initiative had also left because he didn't have money to pay to them. So it was just four of us hanging by a thread and trying to see something about. But then yeah, like after receiving the funds, knew that now we because what I always felt with these grants and bootstrapping and government aid was like we want to turn the wheel one full circle, but then it will turn only by 10 degrees. It will turn by 20 degrees. But unless you have that one full turn and you start, that was not happening. So unless till we got this push of that first fund investment, then only it started happening. Then, then it's a good trajectory and then you can keep on innovating, keep on scaling. So that was the whole I would say the big push we got last year because of this first investment and then we expanded the team and now what we're doing is now we have that decoupled design we have all the parameters tested now we are trying to look at other kind of desiccants also so silica gel is like one of the usually it's called like a solid desiccant but now we are also looking at liquid desiccants calcium chloride and these kind of things so these also behave a similar way, but they need slightly lower temperature and they can also uh, perform better in, in a way. They are more energy efficient and they have also... And what about the absorption efficiency? Like you told me in silica, it's 10 kgs can absorb okay, 2 kgs. Correct. So in liquid acid also, it's almost the same. Even with calcium chloride, we are seeing 20 to 25% that kind of way. So uptake rate is more or less the same, but instead of 70, 80 degrees Celsius, uh, they can work at 60, 65 degrees Celsius for the deeds option. So that's an, an advantage and uh, safety. And same uh, time, like, like it, that will also take three hours. Uh, no, this takes actually a slightly more time. Liquid desiccants uh, for the absorption take around okay. six to eight hours. And these option also takes six to eight hours. So instead of four cycles, now we are doing... Two cycles. But, but then why would you want to switch to liquid desiccant? Ah, I, I mean, yes. Your number of cycles are... Sure. Uh, so why we want to switch is, one is, they are again further cheaper than silica gel. So silica gel is $5 per kg and liquid desiccants are like half a dollar per kg. They're much more cheaper. Okay. So your one-time investment right, comes right, down. Right. The, the one-time one -time installation right. cost. One-time installation cost comes down. The energy efficiency is more. So the cost of the energy it comes down. And plus also, you don't need heat exchanger. Here what happens is, so to heat up a liquid desiccant, what we do is, we have a heat exchanger kind of thing. But then that would be more like heating up the interaction media and the liquid itself. Like, instead of heating a heat exchanger, yeah, yeah, yeah. sticks on and silica gel is put on the heat exchanger, they're just directly heating the liquid desiccant. So, it's much more economical. You don't have to have a work to stick it and then heat it. So that's so. Uh, then this liquid desiccant is going through pipes. No, no. So liquid desiccant is not going through pipes. Liquid desiccant is like in a tank. And when we want to do absorption, what we do pass it through media which has perforated walls kind of thing. So this liquid desiccant keeps on getting showered at these perforated walls. And when you pass air over it. These balls provide a surface area. So there's like a jali. The, the oh, yeah. you have that. Just a cooler with haska. Like there's a wall. So similar to that. Correct. It's, it's obviously more high tech than that. But that concept is same. Like it's falling on a wall of surf where it is absorbed. Okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. And there is some fan which is pulling in air or something. Exactly. Like so for, uh, for absorption part, this is what we do. Like liquid desiccant will 
you know, fall on this uh, media and it will interact with the air and it will absorb the moisture. So this is the absorption part. And we want to do this desorption. What we'll do is the hot water heat exchanger will heat up the liquid desiccant in the tank itself. And then again, we will pass that air over this filter media. But this time it will be in a you know, closed condition. It won't be interacting with outside air. And it will release the moisture and it will just condense. So the, uh, the engineering wise, the system has become much more simpler. And the scale also will be much more easier for us to scale. So now we have we have both the machines. We have silica gel machine also. We have this liquid desiccant machine also. But we think silica liquid desiccant would be easier to scale and you move forward. And if this water is pure, ready to drink. Yeah. So air naturally doesn't have any water minerals. Air is devoid of any minerals. So whatever water we get is actually pure distilled water. So to make it drinkable, what we do is we pass it through a mineral cartridge. And then mineral cartridge will insert pH and the total dissolved salts and make it portable for Okay, got it. Okay. And what is the capacity of one plant? Uh, what what unit? Like okay. how so, many liters? Yeah. It? So now we have a five LPD which is you know fully tested and ready to go for pilots. And we also have a twenty liters per day in house. So at five or twenty liters per day, this is. Uh, it's not a compelling product na, that we have a lot of buyers for it. Correct. So that, that's when I would like to explain how we are trying to position the whole concept and you know, like what target sector we are going towards. So, you know, like the whole concept of renewable water, what makes it renewable is one is you have this abundant, inexhaustible moisture in the air. And this moisture in the air is the volume wise, it's six times what we have in all the rivers combined. So you take all the rivers on the surface of the earth, take that volume of water, multiply by six, that's the amount of water you have in the air at any given point. And naturally with the earth's cycle of evaporation, condensation, this whole water vapor gets replenished every eight to ten days. So you know, you, in a way you have this inexhaustible supply of air and with our technology what we do is we make sure that the energy which is needed for the desorption process that is also coming from renewable energy source. So it could be you know, solar energy, it could be biomass. It, because of, because we had decoupled the design, we can also tap into waste heat from industries. And we can also, in a way, utilize renewable electricity also. Use it like a heat pump. So what we realized was like first step towards targeting any market and even then scaling further was to perfect the technology as much as possible and make it flexible. So we are still at a stage where we are making sure that our technology is the most scalable, it's flexible with all kinds of resources. And plus it's also more efficient than all other technology options or competitors were there in the space. Because only when you check all these major points where of affordability, scalability, as well as being an energy agnostic, then only it can, you know, making viability for a lot of our target markets. So, initially, so, currently it is energy agnostic, like they, because it's purely solar, so there is no need for that. But what is the wet time cost for a, a unit, let's say a 20 liter per day unit? Okay. Like when we are not measuring currency in terms of initial cost because it's still very early to come in, but we have done calculations on a levelized cost basis. Like when you get pipe, what is it? Like Course. Yes. So when you buy solar panels or you would see these large megawatt plants of solar PV panels. 
So what they do is they will amortize that initial capex and they will sell the electricity. So they will say the electricity cost is five rupees, six rupees per unit. Opex instead of capex. So they have. So if you do calculation in that way, so for a twenty liter unit, water costs will come to around six rupees per liter, which is you know, like fairly high compared to say a bottle water or reverse osmosis kind of device. But when we scale to a thousand liters and beyond. This cost can come down to as low as two bees per liter. So that's the sweet spot we are aiming for. We scale the technology to at least two thousand liters per day, and then we can arrive at this two rupee per liter kind of cost. And when we say energy, and when we say energy agnostic, it doesn't mean that it's just solar is the option. What I meant is because now a second unit and energy unit are separate, so this energy unit can get replaced by all other kind of sources. So solar could be one way, you know, which could provide heat at seventy degrees Celsius. What we can also do is we can use biomass waste, burn it, and then provide heat to solar. Or basically, we can also tap into waste heat from industries. So if you go to say power plants, textile industries, process industries, they will have this waste heat. It's from boilers, from chimneys, and all. So we can tap into that. So. That's what I mean when we say when I say it's energy correct. Okay, okay, okay. So, what is the way to twenty to two thousand liters? Is it just having hundred units placed? Is that the way, or is there a more sure like a uh, like a different scale up? Yeah, like why we let go of that panel idea was to avoid duplication because again that's a waste of resources. Similarly, in this way, what we are doing is instead of making a twenty liter and then multiplying by hundred, we are going to keep on increasing the size of a designated. So currently, a twenty liters per day desiccant unit is the size of a, a small fridge. But then, when we make a say hundred liter unit, so for a twenty liter per day, you would need if you're doing two cycles a day, so that means ten liters. So you would need forty liters of your desiccant. Correct. Uh, basically, so it's like a forty liter capacity, which will give you twenty liters. So, so the way to scale there is that forty liter capacity. Instead of that, if you have four hundred liters, so then that automatically is ten. Yeah. So, so that one single unit with four hundred liters. Correct. Exactly. Forty liters is the size uh, liquid volume for the liquid desiccant. Then you will have redundancy for air flow. So unit becomes like slightly bigger than that. But then the idea is just have a very big unit with liquid desiccant and that filter filter media to you know have the process running. So okay, and a forty liter unit you said is the size of a refrigerator. Twenty liter. Sorry, yeah, I would like with the forty liters. Correct. Like, correct. Okay, so th- that unit is the size of a fridge. Okay. Correct. So uh, it will be proportional. Like if I want to twenty, if I want two hundred, then it will be the size of ten fridges. Not exactly, but there'll be you know, like some efficiencies which will be gained because now we say a twenty liter unit, we'll have space for putting fans and for the space for the. Interaction to happen, so that we would have kept more depending on that. But when we scale, it won't be like scaling. But then, more or less, it be in that way. It might be not 10x, but might be 8x. And how will your cost per liter come down one third? Where is the leverage here okay. that uh, will make the sure. cost come down one third? So one leverage is there because so what happens is like when you have a 20 liter system, you have desiccant. The liquid desiccant is has one cost. Then your energy unit has one cost, but then the main, but then forty percent cost goes in your balance of system. You know, balance of system comprises of fan, the casing for that, the filter media, the electronics. 
But when you scale to say 2000 gigas per day, the balance of system is not linearly scaling. Balance of system keeps on coming down, keeps on coming down, keeps on coming down. So in that way, when we scale from say 20 meters to 2000, we get these economies of scale and we are able to make it much more compact, make, reduce the cost of balance of system and bring all the synergies which are possible at scale and then have the lowest cost per So that's how we achieve that. And probably your commercial cost in terms of customer acquisition, negotiation, contracting, installation, the, all of those costs are fixed. So with a bigger capacity unit, costs on a per liter basis. So what we are realizing is like we look at many markets and water is one element which is used everywhere. It's like flying resource, used in industry, used for some agriculture. So what we realize is one is like the stage we are at plus it's being a new technology, it's costlier. You know, it's costlier than just putting a bore well and drawing groundwater for free. Okay. So groundwater is one big problem which we are seeing not just in India now, but even many developed countries, it's like growing rapidly. Just to take case of the Kungram area, the rate of extraction of groundwater versus rate of recharge is four times. So you're withdrawing out more groundwater than you recharge actually. And to the extent of four times, not even. And there we looked at, you know, many applications where groundwater is being used. Agriculture is one, industries are one, drinking water is one. But then agriculture is one sector where, you know, say because of policies and cheap groundwater availability, we can't really charge farmers more for renewable water. Yeah. And yeah. then again, when we look at like the drinking water sector, there again, if you're getting, if you already have municipal water connection, then you're already being less than 3% purified and it's already subsidized for you. But then we looked at, then we looked at industries and even in industries, we then narrowed down to beverage industry. So beverage industry is one where you take any beverage, whether we are Coca-Cola, your beer, your soft drinks, your energy drinks. More than 90, 90 to 95% of that is actually just water. All your other ingredients, which give the flavor or the profile or taste, they're all, or the smell rather, would be like hardly 8%. And if you have beer, 8% would be alcohol and rest is water. Although when you go to like spirits like whiskey and all, still 60% is water and only 40% will be alcohol. So all the beverages are entirely core ingredient is water. And beverage industry utilizes more than 1500 billion liters of water every year, which goes into their products. So just to give you like a picture of this amount of water, this is equivalent to 20% of all the water which human beings drink on a yearly basis. So 20% of all water which human beings drink on a yearly basis is being used by the beverage company in their finished products. Okay. So we looked into that industry where like water is being actually getting consumed to final. So one is where it's drinking water, another industry, beverage, where is water is being used to make products and finally it's getting consumed. So we looked at two, three things. One is the quality of our water is very high because you get pure high quality distilled water which you don't need to further purify entirely used for manufacturing. Second was we had no dependence of groundwater. Now, if you look at beverage industry which consumes 1500 billion liters of water, annually, 
more than 45% is coming from groundwater. So we started looking at, if you look at the whole history of water extraction, that we would see every two, three, five years, there'll be many protests which will be happening in countries and near plants of these big factories of big companies, whether it be some Coca-Cola plant or Nestle plant or some other, the other plant, their water will be extracted, groundwater will be depleted in five years and there will be some protests and it's a common narrative which we see all across the globe. But then these industries don't have to be dependent on groundwater and we think that renewable water could be an alternative to their current uses. So that's how we, you know, logged onto beverage industry because another reason also being key, the cost of renewable water is high, but when you fill it into a product and consumer pays for it, the price premium the consumer see is going to be very less. So suppose you take a pint of beer, which is 200 bucks and you add renewable water to it. So now the cost of water has increased from 50 pesa to say 2 rupees or 3 rupees. But to the end consumer, it's nothing. He's just paying two rupees extra for a more sustainable. Similarly, we thought you take more, say, you got, say, a Red Bull can. It costs 10 bucks for 330 ml. So if you just add, replace groundwater with renewable water, we hardly one rupee more. So the price premium the consumer has to pay is the least when we consider beverage industry as the application. So that's where we think that would be our first target niche. And not even like a very fast sector, but more than a premium sector, where this extra cost would be, you know, highly like negligible in terms of for consumers. But then for the beverage customers, they can market these things to be in a way that these are more sustainable. These don't use groundwater. These are made more locally and distributed locally. So that's the pitch to the beverage customers. And in turn, beverage customers show to consumers that they are a brand which is bringing out more sustainable and responsible products and also being better for the environment at the same time. Okay. It seems like a hard sell went trying to convince a beverage company that to increase their input costs and take a bet. It's a big bet for them. They'll have to change their packaging completely. Wouldn't it be better for you to Take out your own beverage, your own packaged water, for example. You could have a Urao water. Sure. Wouldn't that be a way to show proof of concept and then other companies might see, okay, you are succeeding. Like what Google did with Android and something like that. That's a very interesting proposition. That, like there are both angles to it. One is just to create that will, we might have to do it. We might have to show a proof of concept. Maybe not. Exactly like a Uruvu brand, but there could be a partner brand, it could be a restaurant chain, it could be a hospitality chain. Who thinks that, okay, we can do like a partnership brand, they can have their water and powered by Uruvu. Or 100% renewable water could be the tag which goes into all these bottles. So that could be the one, you know, entry point. And then obviously for the bigger beverage companies, what we tell them is, we are not looking to replace your 100% water volume requirement. We are only targeting 2 to 10% two, two to of your water requirements, which could be used for a more semi-premium products. The products which are already slightly higher in value, which even if the price increases a bit, consumer is ready to pay for the other benefits it drives. And we also see that in these products, premium products, semi-premium products have higher growth rate 
than your normal conventional products which are out in the market. So in, in that way, we are not going all in and you know telling beverage customer here replace your hundred percent groundwater cheap groundwater with our costly water. We are just saying try out the initial two to five percent, two to ten percent, and see from how it goes. So even if we take the whole of that two to ten percent market, overall the beverage industry is a two trillion dollar market from the consumer spending side, and that premium semi premium is more than ten percent of that. So it's still a more than in, in India. Um, what is the size? You're saying two trillion in India? Two trillion globally. And uh, in India, it's much like premium segment in water is around fifteen hundred crores. And if you combine, say, craft beer, craft slipper, and those kind of markets, then it goes to almost five thousand crores. So, in India itself, it's still a big market, and we think that you know, like there'll be and beverage is a sector where every year you will have hundred products coming. So, if you look at it the way that you know, say uh, how music is made, so you will have. 10, 10 artists which will make like 10 songs in a year and 80% people will be hearing those songs. But then that 20%, there'll be like 1000 songs in the 20% people. Will. So there's a long tail of all these songs which get released every year, but then audience is very niche, very limited. So similar in beverages also, there's a long tail of beverages. There'll be you know, 100 brands, each brand launching a sub-brand, many flavors. And consumer taste and profile and their needs are changing every year. So two years back, you didn't have these mix cocktail mixtures, but now there are 10 brands of cocktail mixtures. Like similarly, ready to drink cocktails, iced tea, beverages. So every year new things are coming. So we also think that these new brands or products or these limited edition launches would be our initial target market where slightly higher price would be, you know, still be a differentiator also in it. So that's the one target. I would still say that if you have enough money in the bank, then I think you should bet on the D2C approach on your own water brand. Because see, D2C automatically means more investor interest. If you are able to launch a water brand, show that yes, there is a consumer need for sustainable water, then your valuation from an investor perspective becomes D2C valuation, which is like a different trajectory as opposed to right now, you're an input to somebody else's brand. But a lot of it depends on how much money you have in the bank right now. So obviously, launching D2C brand needs some investment. Because, and you know, like that also, what we see is, you know, uh, we have to keep fast developing the technology, scaling the technology. But these kind of say a small D2C launch or a full branded launch would be more towards creating awareness in the market as well as generating that consumer interest which can then translate to beverage customers realizing this option would be viable or feasible or there is attractiveness to this asset. Because renewable water itself, water so mayor could be a catchy thing you know, that many people still today we tell them that this is what we do. There's always a sense of doubt whether it's possible or is there something cool or you're making fun of that. So I think there's also a cultural narrative which is building up that like that we have to make a shift to renewables. And like when we start with these very interesting consumer applications, there could be more pull from these corporates eventually. So that's what we think. Okay, that would be a good way. Then again, of course, there are other markets like it could be rooftop units. So if you are building like a 
premium villa or like a road house housing and aiming for green buildings, then you can have these units on top of your rooftops, like on your rooftops generating things. Or then like there are corporates who have made a conviction that they want to go 100% carbon neutral, 100% eco-friendly to 20, 30, 40. So one of the pillars for to enable this transformation is again water. Because you can't just be all yourself 100% sustainable and water as a pillar is not addressed. So there again, we can bring this drinking water as a alternative and reduce that dependence on groundwater or water. So those are again the markets, but there again, they have to pay a more big a premium to The premium will be much higher compared to beverages. So it becomes a bit limiting. And then third market where our competitor like zero mass water, which have now so where they are focused is they make those five liter panels they have that panel kind of design and for four water they will duplicate these units so they are focused on the impact market installing it in african countries or in communities which don't have access to water but their water is we are targeting two to three rupees per liter their water is 20 rupees per liter on a legalized basis so it's very costly but then still support from csr funding through support from NGOs, through support from like investors who want to donate a big chunk of their money to such projects. They're able to do many projects in that impact sector. And us being four times cheaper than that, we can also attempt kind of market. But that was again not a like a big target in our mind. This is more like to just do these early traction, build awareness and get those early funds because there the unit economics don't matter. It's more about making sure that water accessibility is there and impact is there rather than just counting on whether water is slightly costly or slightly cheaper because currently they don't have a good alternative. So in that way, that would be a market for those. So have you done on-ground testing and across different locations like a hilly area or a desert area and so on. Okay. So we have not done exactly field trials in these areas, but we have simulated those RH conditions. So even like in Bangalore, if you see over 12 months, your RH conditions will go from 80, as high as 80% to as low as even 30% in summer days. So we have got like good data for many months and over multiple hours full 24 hour data. So through that, we are able to make sure that we are able to generate a state of the water. So how we do that is, suppose you have an area where RH conditions are very low. So what we do is we will put more desiccant mass into that unit. So instead of like 40 liters of desiccant, liquid desiccant giving us 20 liters of water, we might have to put 80 liters of desiccant to get the same 20 liters of water. But then liquid desiccant is so cheap, it contributes just 15 to 20% of our levelized. So suppose the levelized cost of water in Chennai is 2 rupees. And if you go to Rajasthan, where you have to put 4 times more liquid desiccant, then your cost will increase by 80%, which is 2 rupees will become 3 to 3.2 rupees. So that's how we see that we are able to keep the same amount output of water, all kind of average conditions, but that uh, the initial cost will go slightly down. So, uh, Swaptil, we are talking a couple of months after the original conversation, which our listeners just heard. Uh, what updates do you have to share with us? So, actually, actually a lot has happened uh, since the, you know, many months uh, have passed after our conversation. 
we were at 5 liters per day capacity uh, during that time but now in the past few months we have rapidly scaled first to 20 liters per day and then to 300 liters per day so it almost has been a 60x scaling in the last couple of months how, and, how did you do that like uh, did you uh, like was it just scaling up the size of it or did you also do some innovations in the design sure sure uh, so initially our de- uh, design was in a way that we can you know easily accommodate uh, more and more volume capacity so basic uh, design remains the same but then because of adding more modules as well as configuring you know overall control along with that we were able to scale much faster plus we have also uh, the advantage was we already had you know a good team in place so that rapid scaling was possible with them okay 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 and you're running pilots for this also now correct so uh, we are already running pilots with our 20 liter per day unit and very soon uh, this 300 liters per day will be scaled to even 1000 liters per day in about next 3 4 to 4 months and the idea is to work with many beverage companies so the pilots we are running now one is with abn bev which is the world's largest brewer and the second is with radhiko khetan which is india's largest spirit manufacturer Hmm, hmm. So, what is your uh, commercial arrangement with them? Is it per liter water? Like, are you basically selling water to them? Sure. Uh, so, currently, uh, with these large companies, what happens is they have big capex budgets. So, Abin Bev has a capex budget of almost a billion dollars. Tadio Khetan has another hundred million dollar capex budget. So, they are okay with paying for the equipment, you know, at uh, this stage. But as we scale, and when we speak to some other beverage companies, which are maybe don't have that capex budget. there they are more comfortable with a pay per use basis so there will be uh, we are trying to you know get some of these contracts with some smaller beverage companies so hmm. that will be on a per liter basis and uh, which will be more profitable for you in the long term uh, like a one time payment model or a per liter model so on a long term basis a pay per use becomes a much viable model uh, because that eliminates one of some one is that friction also of adoption so many companies you know don't want that capex on their balance sheet so that is definitely better plus as we keep on scaling our technology the cost per liter for us also keep on coming down so we can ha- have healthier margins as we scale and uh, you know even improve showcase our growth much faster okay what's your target cost per liter that you want to hit sure uh, so uh, currently we are at about uh, 6 to 8 rupees per liter at 300 liters per day capacity we are trying to hit around 4 to 5 rupees per liter in next 6 months and then once we reach around 10000 liters per day in about 18 months we will be hitting a target of around 2 and a half to 3 rupees per liter wow 10000 liters a day so will this be like a very very massive plant like will it need a lot of space to set up what is the requirement for 10000 liters a day sure so for a 10000 liters per day if you look at a fully solar powered solution it will occupy almost 4000 square meters so almost uh, 0.8 acres of land and the idea is you can set up it at you know a bit more uh, further away from the city and you can fully set a whole whole beverage plant at that location and then you can supply all the beverages local so that that's uh, one idea we have okay okay uh, 10000 liters a day w- is typically the consumption for a small beverage plant or this is like they will still need to augment it with groundwater like will it meet their entire need or uh... sure uh, 
so for very large companies like Abinbev, their typical brewery consumes anywhere from twenty thousand liters to one lakh liters per day. So this could be you know like uh, one model, uh, but then many smaller beverages will be you know uh, beverage customers can easily adopt it. And what we can also do is we can then have modules of ten thousand liters per day to satisfy larger requirements. So typically, uh, some beverage customers adopting it, they might not adopt it hundred percent. Maybe they will first start with fifty percent of their capacity, then you know slowly move to the uh, full mm. adoption mm. at a later stage. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. So basically, in the long term, this is a play for corporates with land bank, like. Say for example, a college could also be a customer because they also have the land to set up a plant. Or, uh, but within city, it would be hard to set this up because of the space it needs. Yes, yes. So within cities, definitely will be one uh, tough thing. Uh, but what we're also looking at another model where uh, maybe we install a unit and then get the you know electricity from some community farm, which is maybe a further away, and offset it in a way that it's still renewable. But then you don't need the solar equipment right on site where you're making the water. Okay, so th- that will cut down the size signal. So what will be the size requirement then for ten thousand liter? Oh, then it will be just uh, two shipping containers. Oh wow. Okay, and which can be on the rooftop also. You don't need which can uh, be on land. rooftop. Yes, yes, which can be on any. So one shipping container typically occupies around uh, fifteen square meters. So within a fifty square meter area, you can make ten thousand liter. This was the spotlight presented by the podium. To listen to more such interesting conversations, log on to the podium. In.